tonight on Verse Course Verse. Do you all know about Under Oath? Because we sure as hell don't. But by God, we're going to learn. Episode 29. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse. I am David. With me is VCV vet and certified pop instructor, Rachel Polio. Rachel, how are you tonight? I'm great. Just great. Good. Good. We are not alone tonight. We have <laughs> Beth Ann. She is one half of the podcast called She Will Rock You. It is her and Leah. I actually found them on Instagram just scrolling around once. And actually, it was a couple times. And every time they were scrolling across my page, they were talking about something really fucking cool. So I messaged them and see if they wanted to chat. Beth Ann, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am excited about this. I like learning about new bands. Got a hold of you, asked you about certain groups, and you asked me if I knew Under Oath, which I had honestly knew nothing about. The entire genre, mostly, to be honest. So yeah. what, let's start there. What do you categorize them as? I mean, like a lot of rock metal music right now, it's in the process of shape-shifting into something else. But when they first started, it definitely was screamo, and then it transitioned into your like standard hardcore. I like to call the genre the warp tour genre. <laughs> so like they fall into hardcore screamo, a little bit into emo, but not too much into that scene. But yeah, that that's my categorization of it. Here's the problem with that though, Beth Ann, is I think that you are a little bit younger than us because for us, the warp tour genre is no effects and bad religion. And I think they were still playing in 05. Oh, they totally were. Yeah, they but I think when they were around. Actually Under O started way earlier than I thought when yeah. you recommended these guys. I thought they were mid two thousands or something. They're like late ninety. Yeah. yeah, they started in Florida in Clearwater in the late nineties, but their first album came out ninety nine. Yeah. But they were just like I'm trying to describe it. Like that first album, it matches so much with what was coming, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The type of screaming that was in it. So they were a little bit ahead of the curve. You definitely hear some like metal, you know, influence there. A lot of like the punk scene, underground punk scene was probably a big influence there. But anyway, so. No, it's yeah, true. They, they really go back pretty far. When I listen to them and I start thinking of bands to compare them to doing, we talk about influences and influencees down the road and things like that. I was very surprised at how early they started. I was thinking, okay, well, mm -hmm. they were probably parallel to this band or probably got a little bit from this band. Oh, they were three years before that band. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's who we're going over tonight under oath. She Will Rock You is the name of Beth Ann's podcast. It's a really good podcast. I was listening to an episode just today where they were interviewing, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but uh, it was a CEO of a indie record company. Uh, was it Tiffany DiPartolo? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. In interviews are great. They have an episode or are coming in out with an episode with one of my personal favorite artists of all time, Bonnie Raitt, where they talk about Bonnie Raitt. Yes. Is that out? That was our latest episode. 
So that one, yeah. That and our next episode's getting ready to drop this Friday. And who's that on? Which I'll give. Oh, oh it's I don't a, usually tell, but I'm so going to. Here's I'm the thing: spill the this tea. isn't going to come out for another three weeks. So oh, we're good. It's the mamas and papas. <gasps> oh fuck we're yes, Cass Elliot. <coughs> Awesome. Who is now a patron saint of our podcast because we like to have patron saints on our podcast to guide the way. <laughs> Mama Cass is a badass. She really is, man. I'm hoping Bonnie Raitt is a patron saint. She is as well. Okay. It's very rare that we do two patron saints back to back. We only have six or seven right now. Bonnie Raitt is one of the most underrated people yeah like she was this I, i'm not gonna give stuff away from your podcast and i honestly i am probably wrong oh, you're good but from what i'm remembering she grew up in a very all about civil rights activism from mm -hmm. like an incredibly young age and had decided she was going to be a blues player at an age that no little white girl should ever be a blues player she was just yeah holy shit she was a badass what I love about Bonnie Ray is she put her money where her mouth was and even just her music where her mouth was. And if she was going to not only like you were saying, she's involved in civil rights. She kept doing act. She's still probably doing activism. Like she kept going with it. And with her blues music, she recognized that it came from black artists and she did everything in her power to make sure those black artists did not get forgotten and were honored. And, you know, I really respect that because I think what we talk about a lot in the podcast is, you know, rock music started with a black queer woman and that black queer woman, her name is Sister Rosetta Tharp. When she passed in, I want to say the seventies or eighties, she didn't have a headstone until 2014. They had to crowdsource a headstone for her, the creator of rock and roll, just for her to have a headstone. Jesus. And that's why I appreciate like hearing Bonnie Raitt's story, though, because she's like, they will not be forgotten. Yeah. She honors it. Well, I didn't realize it was already out. I thought it was coming out, so I need to listen to that stat. Please do. She's it's definitely great. one of the musicians that just a fascinating person that does not get talked to. I think, didn't she go to like fucking Princeton or Harvard or something and studied like- Harvard, yeah. I mean, she went to fucking Harvard. Harvard, and she was a yeah. blues player. Just insane. Anyway, this is not a Bonnie Raitt episode. Sorry. <laughs> I, I got so excited when I saw you guys were doing that. How long have you two been podcasting? We have been podcasting for over two years now, but we've met when we both were co-workers at a marketing company. And it was just like we met and we're like this instant connection. And we were just like, I know we're going to do something. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> and then one of our friends didn't know who Fleetwood Mac was. And it hit us. We have to do a rock and roll podcast to educate <laughs> the next generation. Teach, teach the teach children. these young bloods. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you pump stuff out. I'm amazed at how often you are releasing stuff. You are. It's like every three days. Yeah. It's you know, that's intense. It is. Luckily, you know, like we've been really fortunate to have, you know, a constant stream of artists that gravitate towards us. And we just have the pleasure of being able to really promote them because while we started as a rock and roll history podcast, it has turned into this really cool split thing that we get the opportunity to just bring some of these up and coming artists to the forefront, whatever our forefront may be, and just really get to 
explore the next generation of music. It really honestly is an incredibly good podcast. Thank you. You do a great job with your historical research. You do a much better. Our podcast concentrates a lot more on the actual structure of the music. Mm -hmm. Yours is a great historical snapshot of these groups. It's I really enjoy listening to it. It's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Speaking of giving a voice to the up and coming artists and that sort of thing, the music that you heard coming into this episode is by a very young band out of Phoenix called Viper Club. I heard of them out of nowhere on some weird YouTube thing a couple weeks ago with the song that was in the very beginning of the episode, which is called Red Pen. Really, really cool band, kind of strokesy the vines type of feel to them usually it takes a while for me to put people's music on the episodes Mm -hmm. but i did this as quick as i could because i'm so into it and i feel like these guys are gonna blow up really quickly that's them viper club they're gonna be playing awesome on this episode rachel yes before we get into the most important part of the night had you ever heard of under oath before that is a hard no no i had not (laughs) (laughs) And you're a huge screamo metalcore huge, fan. So huge. You, I was really so surprised. They you, put out like nine albums. I hadn't heard of one of them. So you had, you had no history of, with them at all? Not at all, no. Coming in blind. Damn. Coming in blind. We have to educate today. For real. <laughs> That's all right. So we're going to get into it. First, we're going to start with the most important part of the night. What are we drinking Rachel, I'm going to start with you. What do you What do you got to? You are fresh off of. You just took the family on vacay, I and did. now you're back, and you're sad. I'm exhausted. I'm <laughs> sad that I'm gone, but I'm happy that I am gone. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be home. You know, kids, they're just they're just a big fucking nightmare. Like, don't have kids <laughs> if you don't have if you don't have them already. Just stop where you are. Enjoy your money. Enjoy your sanity. And don't take them on vacation with you. Enjoy ever. your disposable income and your no nightmare. need to babysit oh, on vacations. Do you have kids, so Bethann? I have two beagles. You have beagles. Um, I, I do. stalked you. I stalked you on ah, yes. Facebook. And good, you have good, beagles. good. And I, I have, have a... beagles. Oh, really? Look, there's one. Just taking a nap. Oh, earlier I today. Love it. Oh, I love that. I have a beagle. We think he's a beagle basset mix, truly. I don't know if you can see him. That's Rody. <laughs> so cute. He's a cutie. And then my girl, I love this dog a little bit too much. She is definitely oh, the favorite. Um, awesome. Her name is Mia. <laughs> that was our dog corner. <laughs> hey, Rachel, what are you drinking tonight? It's been a long day. I have, so it's August. I have a November birthday, and this is a drink that I got. At my birthday. So it's, oh a, my it's a Mike's Cranberry Harder Lemonade from November of 2020. There you go. You're using this podcast to get rid of really all am. your expired <laughs> alcohol. I'm so ashamed every time you ask. Every time I look in the fridge because I worked all day. I didn't leave the house to go get anything. And then I was like, what do I have? Vodka and Coke? Mike's Harder. These are my options. It might not be that bad. It's real bad. Bethann, <laughs> what are you... <laughs> I'm sorry. What are you drinking tonight, Bethann? For right now, it's a lime seltzer because right before I've had a little tickle in my throat. Uh So I'm waiting to see if we can get rid of that. Once that goes away, I have a Harriet's Hard Lemonade. I actually ran into this lady when I was in Virginia Beach. I ran into the owner. She was at a liquor store. And I was literally talking about her and her family 
owned this like ginger beer, not ginger beer. Yeah, ginger beer, like the alcoholic kind in Trinidad. And she was basically taking back up the legacy. So she makes like ginger beer, what? mango, mimosas in a bottle, and then this really good hard lemonade that's more tart than sweet. So it's very good. I'm a big fan and I love her story. So I'm going to have to try to find it online. Deck. It's another hot fucking day in the Northwest, which we are not accustomed to. So I'm just drinking a white wine and I have a guest from She Will Rock You. I was trying to find some sort of wine that was female based. And all I could find, all I could find was Girl and Dragon Pinot Grigio. So that, that is, fits though. That's what I'm drinking. You know, you hit it on the head. Either that one or the bitch wine, you would have been smooth sailing. <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah, no, not quite ready to go that way. I don't want to get that many people pissed off at but me. But I accept, I accept the dragon. That works. Okay. Good. I'm really excited to have you. I hope that you're not getting sick and that's what's going on with your throat. I'll feel super bad if you are. Oh, no, I'm not. You're good. Okay, good. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to tackle under oath. I'm going to learn so much. We'll be right back. Leave me alone. What do I do with all these pictures on my Okay, so we are back. You how it's done. We're ready. We're ready to learn about Under Oath. Before we do the song that you heard coming in from the break, it's named Reese Witherspoon. It's by the Viper Club, and it's a really awesome song. I'm telling you, I like these guys. Please check them out. Just go to Viper Club on Instagram or YouTube. It seems like they're the most busiest on YouTube, so check that out. But for now, we got to get into Under Oath. I'll go over some really, really quick factual basics, and I'm going to hand a lot of it over to Beth Ann, who's going to teach us, because really all I did besides learning the very, very basics was listen to the music and try to figure out how their sound evolved and that sort of thing. I have here that they are from either, because it says two different things mm-hmm. on their Wikipedia. It says Tampa and it says, Oca- is it Ocala? Ocala, Ocala Florida. Yeah. That sounds about right. Because they have like multiple founding members, yeah. don't they? Because uh, Tampa, Clearwater is about 20 minutes from Tampa and Ocala is oh. about an hour, hour and a half from there, I want to say. That whole area, the Tampa, Clearwater area, yeah. That was a pretty big breeding ground for stuff like oh yeah this, right i don't know what you screamo metalcore what i don't know what you want to call it i mean yeah a, a good chunk of bands came out of florida during this time they have received three grammy nominations 2007 2010 and 2019 mm-hmm. they have peaked at number eight on the billboards their seventh album which is something else i wanted to ask you is that just titled zero do you say disambiguation <laughs> And so the zero is their logo that they had during like probably the define the great line, lost and sound separate, that whole area between there. So it's disambiguation. So technically it's just, you should just say disambiguation. Yeah. Got that. Learning how to talk about it before we talk about it. Oh, you're good. Um, Hey, David. Yeah. I don't mean to correct you. No, please do. I had had that they, unless you're talking about hits like songs their album the define the great line in 2006 debuted at number two 
on the Billboard Top 200. Really? That's what I had in my notes, yeah. No, thank you. You have corrected me. And that was the highest Christian band in like almost 10 years, I think. Of highest debut of any Christian band. Which, that's another thing that we can go mm-hmm. over too, which we right. will go over is their Christian-based... It's a very interesting story. I feel like there's going to be a very large part of this podcast that talks about their journey with Christianity. Sure. I don't want to get too much more into it. And honestly, there's really not that much more to talk about that doesn't spoil the albums and the lineup changes and that sort of thing. With that... When did you become a fan? What's what's your under oath story? So my under oath story started with my brother. (laughs) As all big brothers do, they pass on their music to the younger sibling. So it was their only chasing safety when that came out. That album, along with Emery's The Question, just completely like shook my brain. When I heard um, their only chasing safety, I was like, oh, this... You know, we are in a Christian household. So I didn't say this shit slaps. Oh, this is really <laughs> good music. But <laughs> yeah, that was my first introduction. And I personally, and before I start this, because I know there's a lot of Christianity involved with it, and I want to be sensitive to audiences. Because like I said, they started in the Christian world, and they completely left it. Yeah. And I want to be sensitive to both audiences. So feel free to like cut any of this in any way you feel. Well, I'll put it out there right now. We're open to anybody anywhere. Rachel is a Christian. I'm an atheist. We get along great. So I don't think anybody. Well, yeah, we maybe not great, but we get along. Okay. (laughs) We respect each other sometimes. Point being. Gotcha. This is an open minded podcast. Nobody should have a problem with the when they were Christian, when they weren't. That sort of thing. Okay, cool. Obviously, I don't think any of us are going to be trying to offend anybody with whatever we say. And and we don't talk too much about religion on our podcast. We're kind of we try to remain pretty like neutral, grounded on it. But I think like for this story arc, I have to set up a little bit of CCM and what happened to it because I think that's a very interesting story of what happened in that scene. Perfect. That's the scene I came from originally. I got really involved in the. Um, it's called CCM, it's abbreviation, Christian Contemporary Music. Mm-hmm. But during that time in the 2000s, especially when this album came out, the Christian rock scene just exploded. And it exploded because of two record labels. They were connected, but they were called Tooth and Nail Records, which is out in Seattle and Solid State. And Under Oath was signed to Tooth and Nail, and then I think they switched over to Solid State. Other way around. But, um, sorry. Other way around? It became Tooth and Nail. Yeah. Uh, that worked. Around this time in 2004, this is when we saw the launch of all these Christian metal bands coming into place. So like Under Oath led into, like I said, Emery led into Attack Attack, led into Devil Wears Prada, led into Norma Jean, led into, you know, yeah. all these bands. And it was a great time really to be in CCM. Because, was Devil Wears Prada a Christian band? Yeah. Holy shit. No, no pun intended. <laughs> no, you're good. That was good. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. As a kid who grew up in that world, it was really awesome to be a part of it because, you know, a lot of the bands in the CCM world were also playing Warp Tour. So, you know, you really couldn't almost tell the difference until they got on stage and said, you know, we believe in Jesus Christ. Really, that was the mission of a lot of CCM mm-hmm. at, during the day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I was in, oh God, middle school into like mm-hmm. college where me and my husband bonded over for today, which is a metal band. 
and like went to go get a magazine together that had for today. But, you know, like, you know, during that time of the 2000s through, you know, early 2010s, that music is just so nostalgic. Very cool. I never paid much attention to it. I think I was not in the States very much. And I was also kind of off doing my own thing. I do remember hearing a lot of the younger hardcore genre bands like Alkaline Trio and My Chemical Romance and stuff like that coming, mm-hmm. but I didn't catch a lot of this. This is this is a lot more metal. This is separating the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> like, <laughs> there you go. Well said. There is yes. emo, My Chem, broad appeal. There's Panic at the Disco, right. broad appeal. Paramore, broad appeal. Great bands. Great bands. And then there's just this, it's not a next level because I want to remove the elitism from it because unfortunately metal, everything gets so elitism. So much. I have to check the elitism in me because I had a lot <laughs> of it coming from the scene. <laughs> so I'm not going to use the step analogy. We're just going to use the uh, the other room analogy, so to speak. Gotcha. And the other room was Under Oath, was Mailing Sun's Disaster, was Devil Wears Prada, all those Screamo Warp Tour bands. Have you continued to be a fan and you cited their Only Chasing Safety, which was their fourth album? Mm-hmm. Did you go backwards in your fandom did you enjoy more of their earlier stuff or did you like the progression they made going into their later stuff i mean i listened to um the changing of times a little bit here and there back in the day but to find the great line that's a masterpiece in my book that whole album start to finish for me i would listen to that thing on repeat You know, what I loved about bands during that time, because I actually went to prepare. I went and I just listened to every album again to get as current as I could. And like, it's so fun to watch these bands from their first albums to where they go and how their even their voices change. So the change in times, even though that's uh, Dallas singing, who went on to move with A Million Sons of Disaster, and Spencer came in on their only chasing safety. You listen yeah. to Spencer and how he screams in um, their only chase safety, and you move to define the great line, and it's two different Spencers. Yeah, it's a lot more girth to it. it. Has he's trained a little bit more, and then that continues on through Lost in the Sound of Separation, and then they just released like two new songs, kind of jumping ahead that they're getting ready for another album. And it's just like, holy shit. It's like a completely different sound now. Yeah. They are releasing another album in 22. I think very beginning, mm-hmm. like January of 22. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going on tour with um, Spirit Box, which I'm very excited about. We can touch on this now. I usually think of lineup changes as being a big detriment to bands. When you change cast members, yeah. when a when a new drummer comes in, when a new guitarist comes in, it fucks your sound. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. There's something about their... Because they had a lot of lineup changes in this band. Yeah, There's something about it that changes each album that makes it unique from the last album. It's not a worse thing. It's, it's different for me in a good way. Yeah. Like you said, when the new lead singer, who is Spencer... uh, Spencer Chamberlain. Chamberlain. When Spencer Chamberlain came in, I personally much prefer that sound. Their first couple albums are too... They're too heavy for me. They're too... Yeah. It's too screamo for me. I can't... I love the guitar work. I love the drum work. Their, Their drummer's amazing. But I just can't... 
I can't listen to that much. Oh, I agree with you. Everything before changing of times, like I just kind of consider like baby under oath, if that makes sense. Like they haven't really <laughs> arrived yet. And usually those albums were more for local scenes anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very small portion in time yeah. that those bands were popular. And then they started molding. Chris Dudley came in right before Changing of Times. That's when you started to hear the industrial side. Yeah. Kind of, it sounds like you're a little bit of the same way, but I actually lump there. And once again, I've listened to some of these like three times, some of them once. So, so yeah. you have way more experience with these than me. But Act of Depression and Cries of the Past, uh, Act of Depression was 99, Cries of the Past was 2000. It's really like them preparing for Changing of the Times. It's still the same style, still the same type of screaming. Acts of depression and cries of the past. Honestly, I listened through it and I'm like, I've literally listened to the same song and you got to be there, you know? Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's like heard this song. How Do you know how old they were? Oh gosh. Well, they're 38 now. Most of them were born in 83. So, so oh, they're, Jesus. they're teenagers. So yeah, yeah. So. they were like 17 when they're, oh my God. So they were little babies. Yeah. Which makes you appreciate the act of depression more because when I was listening to it, I was like, this is pure garbage because I went reverse. I went from from 2004 to 2002 to 99 and I was like, the hell is this? It felt like a high school band recording an album. That's what it is. It was just a little bit better than a high school band. And that's okay. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to be there for the high school, you know, you recorded this in your friend's basement. Yeah, because Rachel, you're a big screamo metal fan in general, right? Oh, yeah. I love all the screamos. 2018's wasn't, I enjoyed that one actually. There was a handful of other stuff throughout the different albums that I did enjoy. But I also made a list of things to do while listening to Under Oath. Yes. Mostly when I listen to music is that I'm working out, so I need a good beat. But if I was to listen to Under Oath, it would be during these, these different activities. Number one, aggressively burying a body and then driving home jacked up like I was on cocaine. That's good. That's good. I like that. Straightening my hair and then hairspraying my bangs to my forehead. Yes. I've done that move. I've done Which that exact is- move. Yes. That is a very random connection that I am not in for. But Emo. 2007, my friend. Oh. Yeah. It's oh. that straight hair with the 2007. With the just got off mm-hmm. of MySpace. I got to get ready to go hang out <laughs> at the, you know, gas station and get an Arizona tea with my friends. Exactly. Okay, so two more things. Number two, post an angry message on MySpace about how my boyfriend is ignoring me to play Halo. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because that can encourage me. And then the number one thing to do while listening to Under Oath is be sad and write in my journal in the early 2000s and throw the journal at the door and scream, fuck you, mom and dad. Yes. <laughs> I approve of every one of these actions, even the body one. It's perfect. That's what that's what Under Oath is for. There's music for everything. There really is. Well done, Rachel. <laughs> Highlight of the podcast thus far. Thank that you. That was awesome. Um, I love it. Now that I'm, you just told me how young they are. So that goes into the changing of times, 2002. It seems like this is when they started to, I don't want to say discover their sound, but I'll, yeah. I'll let you put it into better words than I can. Well, this is the last album of the Dallas era. Like we were kind of talking act of depression and cries of the past. It's all leading up to this album. Changing of times. I was talking to my husband, Josh, about it because he's also a really big Under Oath fan. He's just like, man, this album is, it's weird because it doesn't feel like it aged well in the sense of like that style of music was just a small niche in time. Yes. So either you look back favorably or you look back and you're like, 
you know, like, yikes. But I enjoyed going back and listening to it because, you know, that whole album, it's a blueprint for that time. But Dallas left close around that time before Spencer came in. And like you were mentioning, like, that's when the sound changed. Yeah. In my opinion, this was not the album that launched them. The album that launched them is They're Only Chasing Safety. That's when they started getting circulation on Fuse and they started playing Warp Tour. And then everyone falls in love with Aaron Gillespie, myself included, but <laughs> <laughs> who is the drummer and singer who subs in. If I were to listen to all of their albums at once and try to pinpoint the year it was made without knowing when they were made, this would be the one that I would be like, oh, this is early 2000s, right off the bat. Yeah. Their next album is They're Only Chasing Safety, which that seems to be the biggest, from what I read online, the biggest riff of their fans. This is when Under Oath became Tools, or this is when Under Oath became Under Oath. Mm -hmm. This was the album because two things happened. Like I said, Spencer came in, but Aaron started singing. Who's an amazing and drummer, by the way. Aaron's, amazing. Oh, bar none, like one of the best drummers. He's awesome. In that time and still working today, in my opinion. His voice, in my opinion, led the emo screamo movement. If Haley Williams is the queen, Aaron Gillespie is the king. Like they rule together <laughs> in the warp tour genre in my book. Yeah, that that album, that is like the beginning of their sound for sure. Even yeah. though they went oh, absolutely. way heavier. Yeah. I love this album. I'm still amazed that I know every single word. That's what I love around this time, especially in this album, is each song for the most part it's just structured very differently. It's There's always something around the corner, but it's catchy. There's such catchy hooks in it. This is when the band, they had matured a little bit. These songs became more about the melody than the, here's what the instrument is doing. The guitars are a lot less riffy, a lot more sonically textured. Yeah. And it seems like they had really figured out how to use the keyboardist to grow their sound as well. Mm -hmm. I could see where fans that were fans back way from the 90, you know, the first two albums would be frustrated with this because it is, compared to those first couple of albums, it's such a poppy step. I don't think that it's anything to be mad about. Or You were talking earlier about how metal is one of the worst genres for people to be elitist about. It really is. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's true. I could see where there would be a lot of backlash for an album like this, especially back in that time. Well, it's definitely, you know... We see a lot in the 90s, especially, and this is really a punk scene, which punk, you know, bled into hardcore. The mm -hmm. minute if you broke free, you know, got signed to a major level, or you changed your sound to resemble anything close to pop, you immediately got called a sellout. And yes, I love some good underground punk, but that is where we get our elitism. And, you know, one of the things for our podcast personally is we try to dismantle that. A lot of artists that we've covered, one example I think of is Dimebag Daryl, mm. where they started as a glam metal band mm -hmm. and he was known as Diamond Daryl. You know, then they're like, no, we got to be more like Metallica. Dimebag Daryl still loves that type of music. Oh, yeah. But he had to force himself out of it. But near the end of his life, he was working on a side project that sounded like that glam metal but he couldn't allow himself to be in that world. It's, and that always made me sad. It's very true. We've touched on this before on the podcast. Dimebag Daryl was such a 
Pantera, which great band. Yeah, love but Pantera. But they kind of, they somehow ended up being the soundtrack for a specific type of male that is a terrible person. Yes. And Dimebag Daryl was so not that type of person. No, he was a like, teddy bear. He was the most laid back, nicest, coolest fucking yeah. guy. It's weird that the band that he really paved the way for ended up being kind of this super angry white dude yeah. genre. It was really weird. Unfortunately, it was Pantera and Rage Against the Machine. Both their audiences took their messages and went the opposite direction, especially for Rage. These dudes yeah. were like trying to... <laughs> dismantle capitalism and everything and then all of a sudden like all the dudes were like so what you're saying is we should hate everybody and they're like no 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 you're completely (laughs) missing the point anyway we digress that's another rabbit hole sorry everyone now we're going to get into and it sounds like i agree with you i think that this album define the great line which came out in 2006 with bands that are around for this long there's always that one album where you can pinpoint it and say this is when the band had their shit figured out Mm -hmm. to me that's this album this is a yeah i agree 100 percent. it is their highest selling album and rachel you're very right uh number two on the u.s charts this is when the in 2006 is when they switched to tooth and nail if i'm correct and then you're right. and they started doing a lot of marketing which is probably yeah in addition to it just being a good album uh you know that helped the sales quite a bit yeah good job stats that's your new nickname mm-hmm. <laughs> beth ann the massive under oath fan this is your favorite under oath album what is it about it for me it's why the songs were written so Spencer Chamberlain had it. It's heroin. It, I think it was heroin. He had a heroin issue and he relapsed. So all these songs are inspired from him dealing with that. We can get into the musicality and it's great. The riffs, mm-hmm. the way the songs build up and drop down. Great. I love it. Dynamics on this are, are unbelievably solid, good. Solid. Yes. But for me personally... Especially, you know, going through high school. I didn't have a heroin problem. Good for you. But like it still spoke to still spoke. Good for to you, me. says Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so like all the lyrics are just him processing. And ultimately, you know, wrestling with just his own personal beliefs and how they match up. Anyone who goes through something and can ask themselves the hard questions and evaluate. I just appreciate that. It's also, I think they had finally settled down with their band members. So I think this was what, like the third album that they had a pretty yeah. stable lineup. So their chemistry was fantastic at this point too. This is the lineup that they kept yeah. for a while. Where is it? There's this really good lyric in it. Oh, here it is. So tear another page from the book. Are you a sleeper just alone? Clear this room from your lungs. Pull yourself together. You're sleeping in a bed of shame. Like, it's just like you're staring truth in the face. Like, just as like he's looking at himself and being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, you know, we've all had our battles. We've all had our shames where we wake up and we think, what the Mm -hmm. fuck am I doing? Like, what are you doing? Everybody goes through that. Relatability. This is, even though he's going through something you know, you could call more serious as a heroin addiction than maybe what you're going through that day. It doesn't make it any less relatable. Absolutely. And then 
2008, God, they just pump out albums, don't they? Until they're hiatus. But yeah. 2008, Lost in the Sound of Separation. This is a whole different, yes. very, very heavy, very, very tight. I think they still had the same lineup. Define the Great Line is your favorite Under Oath album. Mm -hmm. What about this was not quite as good for you? I still like this album. This is still a very mm -hmm. solid album for me. There's a lot more like they're experimenting more with time changes. Yeah. And there's a lot more like heavy bass lines, which is really cool. But for me, like, you know, lyrically, it's just a continuation of it. And that's fine. It's still, you know, great to explore that. There's a very interesting point in this band's time. And it may have been around to find the great line when this started happening, like when they were touring it. Um, and this goes back to Christian uh, contemporary music mm -hmm. in general. If I could put my little critic hat from an industry standpoint, from their story, a YouTube video surfaced and the band was getting drunk at a Christian music festival, which is just not accepted in that world. Really? It's a big no-no. And... Because they were drunk, though, they were saying they were basically just in it for the money because contemporary Christian music pays very well. They want to rival the what they would call the secular world because they want to make an impact for their beliefs. So what we encountered, these dudes just kind of called their bluff and was like, yeah, we're kind of doing this for the money at this point. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, CCM having industry take prominence over, in my viewpoint, some moral and ethical standpoints, ruined a lot of these guys' beliefs, Yeah, which kind of sucks. For Spencer, you totally. know, he talks about wrestling with God and, you know, but then he sees his industry and the industry is just pumping in money and it just ruins it. It disillusions so many people. And, you know, I'm not in the CCM world anymore, nor am I in the Christian world anymore. But, you know, I like to keep tabs on it just, you know, to see how did it all play out. Mm -hmm. A lot of these bands that I used to follow, they're all atheists now. Oh, really? Hawk Nelson singer just came out as an atheist. Spencer is now an atheist. A guy from Newsboys who was very CCM atheist. Mm -hmm. I would pin the finger on CCM and their practices. You can't get drunk in that world in the evangelical world, that's a big no-no. Oh, it's evangelical. It's evangelical, yeah. Oh, I didn't CCM know that. CCM is very okay. evangelical, so. I was, I was gonna say, you can drink if you're Christian, but oh, yeah. evangelical is a little well, you bit can't different. get drunk. You can You drink. can't get drunk, but I mean, like, you can drink. Yeah, so that album, that's what comes to my mind that's around that time. Very, very interesting. I want to say it was in the, between def Define the Line and lost in the sound of separation yeah. i could be wrong i want to say it was in 2008 but there was aaron gillespie had come out and said so this time i'm definitely a christian but i don't yeah. think under oath should be a christian band like i don't think they should be under that umbrella because it is they have all these like super harsh rules and all these things you have to abide by and it's just yeah untenable like it's it's unsustainable it's at the end of the day it's unsustainable taking the christian side of it it just turns so many people away yeah because there are a good handful of bands that were really good at the time that were under that christian umbrella that were like you know what i'm good six pence none the richer obviously not even near this genre we're like i'm good i'm out of this yeah we're not a christian band we're christians we're not a christian band yeah so we're not gonna 
participate in those kind of things anymore. And then another big controversy, because Tooth and Nail and Solid State were known for having Christian bands on their um, record label, Mm -hmm. He Is Legend, which was on Solid State, came out as not a Christian band at all. I mean, at the end of the day, looking back in hindsight, it should just be about the music and just, you know, have your beliefs. Absolutely, you know, be healthy about it. Respect others. But at that time, I want to say it was around the 2010s, we really started seeing CCM kind of start imploding on itself because of what Rachel was talking about, these unsustainable, harsh realities. Of these, You know, they're going to pay these kids tons of money to play these festivals, mm-hmm. but they're kids. I mean, they're early 20s. I mean, yeah. they haven't figured out life yet. And that's way too much pressure to put on them to not only, you know, be good at music, but you also, you know, have to have it all figured out. And they're also yeah. artists. They grow up and they start to see, oh, this is a corporation. Right. And they maybe aren't necessarily giving us these rules because they actually care. They're giving us these rules because it's going to make a shit ton more money if we can say, hey, parents, let your kids listen to this. Right. Your kids can go to this concert. Yeah artists in the bands who are pure, who are just trying to be Christian and really passionately believe what they believe, it's hard when they realize that they're playing a part in something that I'm not saying isn't, but might not be pure. In Yeah. You know, even though I arrived at a different viewpoint as I got older, you know, I'm sure for a lot of these kids, and I use that phrase, even though they're in their early 20s, it still feels like you're a kid, right? Absolutely. These kids are getting told, you know, if you do these things, if you abide by these rules, we'll give you bajillions of dollars. And they're also touring with people of the opposite sex Mm -hmm. at the same age who are super hot and super famous. Mm -hmm. And it's so unfair. And I think as an adult, I realize what an unfair and unfortunate situation that they were put in. And I think I'm a lot more forgiving as an adult than I was as a kid. Disney does the same thing. And look at what the Jonas Brothers had to do their whole lives. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. It's... Go be really hot Mm -hmm. and sexy as a Mm -hmm. 17-year-old and write these songs and be around other 17-year-olds. But when you're done, go home and kiss your parents goodnight and wear the purity purity rings. rings. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Next album is Disambiguation because apparently it's not zero. (laughs) That's okay. You are are correct. (laughs) But also, like, if you call it zero, I think everyone will know what you're talking about in that world. Okay, good. Good. (laughs) Yeah. In my view, a controversial album because Aaron left the group. Yes. Yeah. So 2010, Aaron left the group. He was the last remaining member of the original lineup, wasn't he? Yeah. The rumor mill is. Oh, snap. And I know this from some sources. Oh, snap. I can't can't say. I I can't say, but I may have had a friend (laughs) who, let's just say her boyfriend, was close with Aaron Gillespie. Okay. So I'm going to say. I get it. So there was hella tension in the band. Like I said, this is just hearsay, although this is pretty much probably confirmed at this point. Aaron did have some personality things. Many musicians do. Yeah, many musicians do. Like, it's nothing new. So Aaron left because he was also in a band called The Almost, which was way more alternative. So this album, which is Spencer, and it still feels like Under Oath. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't realize like how much you miss Aaron singing. And that's not a slight on Spencer. There was just such a magic between the two of them. And so it was a completely different album. And I feel like that album 
it wasn't as popular because of that, unfortunately, because it's still very good. I actually, it's probably my second favorite album of theirs. Yeah. Like I said, I've only listened to all of them a few times, but this one is a little more up my alley. It's it's a little more like sludgy, yes. industrial sludge, I'd very call it. Very industrial, yeah. It's a good album. And that album, though we would not know it, was pretty much going to be the new like, model if you will for under oath music Mm -hmm. but that was pretty much it they went on hiatus and then they randomly came back they didn't uh, come out with another album until 2018 that was Mm -hmm. so they took eight years off of making an album that's a really long which they probably needed honestly it's a long time absolutely they came back and they released their first song on my teeth and it featured the word fuck (laughs) and that was the severing of (laughs) We are not in the Christian sphere anymore. Was that the first time they ever like, swore? That's the first time they ever swore. And everyone wow. flipped out that happened. I mean, personally, you know, Christians can curse. I yep. mean, I grew up in a household where cursing was normal. So like Rachel? Super normal, but no. kind of normal. Fuck off, David. so erase me 2018 this album from what i could find online was fairly universally disliked by lots of fans i've been an under oath listener for a month not 15 years like a lot of people and i didn't notice it but a lot of what i read was very this is such a change, but I just, I guess, sure. do you see that much of a change in this album compared to Disambiguation? I mean, I do. And yeah. this is not my favorite album. It's okay to me, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of just going back to the song structures. They're very different songs than the, what they've written. On My Teeth is like a very heavy song, but the rest of the album, you know, is not as heavy as they've written in the past. Oh, not at all. And, yeah. Musically speaking, it didn't sound like the under oath I knew. So maybe I was upset. Maybe I'm now just processing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's also lyrically, there is a little bit of the, you're starting to hear a person frustrated with his religious views. Yeah. You hear a lot of the, you never listen to me, God kind of stuff. Sure. It's just interesting to be able to hear somebody's battle with their own religious i mean that's deep shit that's hard stuff to go through it really is it does have a lot of those lyrics of him finally processing his thoughts on this that's their discography i think that's a really good rundown so anybody that hasn't heard them before if you're more into the really heavy yeah screamo metal check out the earlier stuff if you're more into the industrial check out the middle if you're more into Mm -hmm. the they have an album coming out in January of 2022, Voyeurist. Voyeurist. The two songs they've just put out, Damn Excuses and Hallelujah, are very good. And I'm very excited for this direction because they're going way back into being heavy. Ah, okay. I'm very excited for this next era coming up. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with a couple more questions and then we will let... Beth Ann get back to her life and her podcast. We'll be right back. We are back. <laughs> and the 
song that you just heard was called Nice Guys. Once again, the band is Viper Club. Very, very good band. Super into them. Please check them out. I want to talk a little bit about some more shallow questions about Under Oath. Talked a lot about lyrics already. I just, the, the most fascinating thing to me, they're very, very early stuff. Hearing somebody sing, what was the line? I looked up the line. We found a, a way to see, look up, feel the almighty, take control as we gaze into your eyes. We're just the tool you use to bring this world to you. <laughs> oh, Lord, how we love you. To hear that. Was that changing of in time? This, yes. What? I did, not, hear, I did not hear that. I heard Like, it's very <laughs> high register screamo. Like, I mean, that's cool. Exactly. Cool. When you think, because nobody knows what the hell these people are screaming when they're screaming. Especially when they're thrashed, yeah. But that's not, that is the last thing that you are thinking that they are probably saying is something like that. Did you read lyrics at all for them, Rachel? Did I read lyrics for them at all? David, I couldn't understand a goddamn word they were saying. (laughs) So yes, absolutely. The second I turned it, because I started in... 2004, I started there only chasing safety, and I was like, can't fucking understand. Got to turn on lyrics. So you started when they, because they weren't talking so much Christian at that point. Like they were kind of hit and miss. I did not glean Christian whatsoever, except for there was one song, and it was so well written, because I love a good lyric. Mm Um, it was it was the last song, and it was that's a good one. Wish I had been prepared for this. Hey, young faithful, I yep. will teach you. That sounds to be stronger to be. Yeah, that's a good song. No offense to anybody, I, that sounds like um, the contemporary Christian that I know. Very no, similar, and, it, okay. and that's the thing. That's probably why it stuck out to me. Like I picture young people crying and going like this. And they were, man, in the mosh pit. Yeah. I'm telling you, I was oh. there. I watched it. It's that's, some will seek forgiveness, others escape. And can I just say for a second, like, the fuck do you need these long ass names for every song? That's the it was that's just the scene though. Like I guess. Like the iPod <laughs> did not have to take a minute to scroll. scroll. I was not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But there's a part right in the middle of the song that says, here's my kiss to betray, desperate to brush the lips of grace. Do you feel hollow when you think of how I lied? Oh, sweet angel of mercy with your grace like the morning, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it's kind of Why don't like you end it with a blah, blah, blah? Judas and Christ, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's like this Judas and Christ conversation, but it's a very real, yeah, like raw conversation of of that whole situation of being betrayed. And I just, I really liked, awesome. liked it. It was dope. It wasn't, and there was yeah. no screaming involved, <laughs> which was an interesting turn, but uh, a nice way yeah, to end the album. It's very I guess, too, though. lyrically. Being one of your favorite bands. You've got to have a few favorite lines, right? Oh, yeah. Give me a couple of your favorite lyrics from Under Oath. Okay. In regards to myself, I love that song. And then A Boy Brush mm-hmm. uh, Red, Living in Blah, Blah, Blah. Um, that's a good song. That's a great song. But I always sang as loud as I could. And this is terrible. I don't like this lyric, but this is what's coming to my head. Slit your wrist to sleep with the girl next door. I always knew you were such a sucker for that. Ooh. We used to just sing that so loud well, that's, as emo. That's kids. as emo as you can get why. right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
So we're just going to go with that. It's not a good representation of what I believe, but you know. Musicianship. Do you have a favorite musician, Bethann? You can have a favorite as far as just always your favorite for whatever reason, or yeah. like you think is the most talented. I'm going to get hate for this. Aaron is definitely the most talented. Oh, shit. Well, no, they're all talented. Mm-hmm. I just think Aaron's drumming, though. He just revved it up as he got into Define the Gray Line and lost the sound of separation. Mm-hmm. Like that dude has mastered his craft. But my favorite to watch perform is Chris Dudley because that dude would set up his MIDI keyboard mm-hmm. and he would just hit one note and he had this long hair and just going nuts, shaking his head and his fingers just on <laughs> like the one, one note. note. <laughs> his hair's going everywhere. He's going nuts while hitting this one chord. <laughs> And I always got the biggest kick out of that when they were performing. But, you know, Tim, the main guitar writer, great. Garrett is a phenomenal bass player. And, like, he really shines on Lost in the Sound Separation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. I agree. The drums really stood out to me. Most of the time with bands like this, you have to be an incredibly good drummer. Yeah. And he's, man, he's a really good drummer. What's your favorite album cover? Ooh, Probably lost in the sound of separation. Yeah, that's a good one. I just think that's, I just think it's so that's cool. That's the one that's got the weird, almost Tron volcano-y sort of. Yeah, like a cavern. Yeah, yeah. But like a cavern on LSD. Exactly, yes. Cavern on LSD, well put. I actually, yeah. I bought this vinyl when we decided what we were going to do for this podcast. Because I decided, you know, even if I don't love this album... There's something about this cover that's fucking... Yeah. It's such a good album cover. It's a great album cover. Yeah. Like, that's an iconic album cover. I want to know what the hell is someone? going on with that woman. Oh, She's I don't... She's getting oxygen, David. <laughs> <laughs> but with such perfect eyeshadow, what's the story there? There's got to be a... Has to be. There's got to be a story <laughs> there, right? <laughs> Influences and influencees. So we've kind of already talked about it from my conversation with you influences are a lot like yeah all of the the genre moving forward the devil wears pradas and the i'm more interested in asking you who you think before i started talking to you i was thinking that influences of this band would be kind of whoever you would have bought at hot topic in like the mid 90s yeah at the drive-in and stuff like that but influencee wise do you know of any specific bands that influenced under oath a lot of that thrash came from i mean metallica honestly yeah what's the album escape rachel you got so excited no i was gonna say there was something i was listening to and i was like this feels like early metallica yeah like and i can't ride the lightning yeah master puppets sort of stuff Yeah, Master of Puppets. That's what I was thinking of. Like Metallica just defines that genre of thrash and groove. I mean, that's where Pantera took the groove side and then the thrash side started developing. You know, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's probably probably my only source though. Um, Band member replacements. What band member losses or gains do you think added or took away the most from their sound? Well, I think when Spencer came in the band and when Chris came in the band, that's what really helped them harbor in that sound because Chasing Safety was the launch pad. And I think when Aaron left, Mm -hmm. I think Aaron, not only from a drum perspective, brought a completely different sound, just from like a melody perspective, brought something different to the table. So Grant or Garrett? Because I've been it's calling him Garrett. Grant, Grant Brandle. <laughs> it's also yes. 1030 over here. So my brain is not. I'll edit I it all probably, out. I have probably. 
grants. <laughs> God, I'm going to, I'm going to get so chewed out and I apologize to the under oath fans guys. Like I have like borderline dyslexia. So I mix up words and it's 1030. So well, it's <laughs> luckily for you, Beth Ann, you're almost <laughs> so. out of the woods. One more thing I'm going to make you do that it's probably going to be pretty hard for such a big fan, but I want you to tell me what your top five favorite under oath songs are. Oh, man. I got it. Yeah. I, I can't remember the song titles, so forgive me if I go on their spot. How? No, that's They're fine. so simple, Bethann. <laughs> they are, yeah. What You don't know the boy okay. with the thing and the stuff? or Do I have to put them in order or can nah, I just, just like list? Okay. No, nah, your top I'll five. I'll list them off. Okay. Top five. Mm -hmm. A boy brush red living in black that's and white. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reinventing your exit. Okay. In regards to myself. So good, good song um to who it may, may concern which is the ending song to define the great line and off of i need two more it's gonna definitely come off of a uh, lost in the sound separation uh, the created void Ooh. and too bright to see too loud to hear perfect world that's your starting point if you want to get into under oath go listen to those songs after you've listened to this podcast that's all i've got now i feel like i know everything about under oath rachel how about you I know everything as well. <laughs> There's nothing more to know. There you go. Beth Ann, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. It, you were a great guest oh, and thank you. seriously taught me a lot. She Will Rock You is the name of her podcast. It's a great podcast. And I am seriously, tonight when we get done, I'm going to go listen to your Bonnie Red episode. I'm really yes, excited for it. please let us know what you think. SheWillRockYou.com is your website. She Will Rock You podcast for Instagram, correct? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Go check them out. You will not be disappointed. Lastly, Beth Ann, for a podcast in their first year that seems to be growing pretty quickly, specifically in Germany, do you have any advice? <laughs> We're huge in Dusseldorf. Huge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any advice? Like to podcasters or just in general? No, to me. I don't care about general. To just to me. <laughs> I think it's always try to see what history is trying to teach you about situations. I think a lot of what we do on our podcast is it's a learning experience as much as it is for me as it is hopefully for the audience and it's interesting how history will teach you the narrative if you're willing to read it that's yeah that's very good advice that's beautiful oh beth ann it was a pleasure to have you thank you so much anytime you need anything over it she will rock you let us know everyone thank you so much for listening come back next week Sven is back Sven and I are going to be talking jazz we are going back to our roots because the week after that we have an insane interview that I'm going to be peeing my pants for the whole time ladies and gentlemen have a great night take care oh, I, oh.